The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Final day of April, PFT PM Podcast. First business day after the draft. The draft has come and gone. I can't think of any other event, folks, that comes in so hot. So much intrigue. So much fascination. Thursday night, first round, pomp, circumstance, all that shit. Thursday night, it's off the charts. Friday, it's a curiosity. Right? Round two, round three. Round two kind of drags. You're waiting for something interesting. The Patriots, it's always the Patriots. What are the Patriots going to do? What are they going to do that makes us say, ooh, there's the Patriots being the Patriots. Round three, all right. It's Friday night. We're having a cocktail. We're smoking a cigar or maybe some other substance legal in nine states for recreational purposes. Nine states and counting. But then comes Saturday. How does something that was so exciting on Thursday night become something that by Saturday afternoon you just can't wait for it to be gone? What's the line about house guests being like fish? After three days, both stink or something. I don't know. My cliche is a little bit jacked up there. But this doesn't even get to 48 hours. The draft, oh, this is the best thing ever, Thursday night. By Saturday afternoon, it's like, can we just end this thing already? Can we just make it go away until next year? Is there a way to shorten this thing? Can we reduce it to one minute between picks? Can we reduce it to four rounds? Maybe three. Once upon a time, the NFL draft was 30 rounds. Can you imagine that? 30 rounds? Back in the days when the scouting consisted of, hey, I've heard of that guy. An average of 2.9 million viewers watched on Saturday. Why? Why? And the gimmicks... Oh, my God, with the gimmicks. The parrot that didn't speak. I think I knew that they were up to something with the parrot because they never said the parrot wasn't going to speak, but they created a vague sense because you picked a parrot, an animal that is capable of some degree of speech to be involved in the selection. I think they sold us a bill of goods on the parrot. I think they made us think the parrot was going to go, what? And I can't even remember who the name was that came out at that pick. Because it didn't come from the parrot. Here comes the parrot and the parrot doesn't say anything. Oh, the parrot got staged right. No, the parrot was never going to speak. How are you going to teach the parrot to say the name of the draft pick in five minutes or less? How are you going to do that? I know you repeat it over and over again. It's not going to pick it up. And God only knows what else it's going to say. Did I ever tell you the story about the time that I was in a pet store? And I was trying to get the parrot to repeat a a uh, <laughs> a, a nasty phrase. 
And I kept saying it over and over again. And eventually the Patriot, uh, the Patriot, the parrot, parrot, Patriot, close enough. The parrot lost its shit and just started squawking. Like it was programmed. If someone tried to get it to say a certain phrase, the parrot was going to lose its mind. That's what the parrot eventually did. But that's, I hadn't thought of that in years. That was, I don't know, early 90s. Pet store in Pittsburgh. There was a parrot. And I even said it in parrot voice to try to get the parrot to mimic. And the parrot, like, eventually just started squawking. And I ran out of the store. They probably thought I was, like, shoplifting a parrot. They had to stop me. Uh, okay, sir, we know that you have something. I don't have anything. I'm just getting the hell out of it. The parrot scared me. Anyway, the gimmicks need to go. They need to move it along faster. Or, or maybe they don't. I mean, people are watching it. People are staying indoors on a Saturday and watching this thing. I'll admit that I think halfway through the fifth round, after Shaquem Griffin got drafted, I said, all right, I'm going to go take a nap. Because I was up late Friday night. I'm going to go take a little nap. Set the alarm for an hour. And I had a little Jean-Paul, Jean-Paul, AM, PM. And I ended up sleeping two hours. And you know what? When I woke up, it's like, I don't regret it at all. I meant to only sleep one. I slept two. And I didn't miss shit. You scroll through all the picks that were made. And you realize, man, in two hours, they really didn't make many picks. So, I don't know. Florio, you're, you're an NFL guy. Your bread gets buttered by the NFL. How dare you? criticize this process. Well, I think we all know that by Saturday it sucks. I made the observation on Twitter that near the end of the draft, the TV broadcast had been reduced to the topic of the merits of generic waxed beans. You could just tell they were ready to get the hell out of there. It was like Jerry Lewis in the final hour of the telethon every year. Remember that one, kids? Old people like me. The pre-back-to-school tradition. Because we always went back to school the day after Labor Day, not in like the middle of August like they do now. And there he was, Jerry Lewis. He'd start off with that tuxedo on and everything was all buttoned up. And then, you know, by the end of the thing, the tie's undone and the cigarettes are all droopy. And they're just ready to get the hell out of there. That's how they were on NFL Network. Just get me the hell out of here. And... Hey, we can relate. We want you to get the hell out of here. We want this to be over with. So, anyway, the draft has come and gone. Joe Houlihan has come and gone. Poor Joe Houlihan, cut by the Packers. Come on, Joe Houlihan. Maybe he'll have an opportunity in the Alliance of American Football. Maybe he'll learn his craft from that noted quarterback guru, Mike Vick. How in the hell is Mike Vick an offensive coordinator in any football league other than Sandlot, a guy who was notorious for never studying, a guy who relied solely upon one of the best sets of God-given physical skills we have ever seen in any sport and did jack squat to hone those. Could you imagine how good Mike Vick would have been if he would have actually worked to get the most out of his physical abilities? He would just show up and run. Just show up and do your thing. Show up and fire the ball 70 yards down the field. It wasn't quite 70, but he had a rocket. When he chose to use it, he could run like a deer that had been lit on fire 
when he chose to. How good could he have been if he actually trained all the time instead of running a dogfighting operation in the offseason in Virginia? Oh, we're not allowed to say that anymore. Oh, oh, it's been 11 years. The statute of limitations on being a convicted criminal expires at some point between year one and year 11. People get mad now when you mention that Mike Vick went to prison for dogfighting. Oh, he's changed. He paid his debt to society. It doesn't change the fact that he did it. And he would have still kept doing it. I guarantee you. I guarantee. I know this is not going to be a popular opinion. But I guarantee you. If he hadn't been caught. He would have kept doing it until he was caught. I guarantee you. There's nothing like getting caught. To inflict an immediate dose of remorse. Into anyone. Who's doing something. That they know is damn well illegal. And they keep doing it because they like it. It doesn't become a lifestyle. I remember. Oh, he made a mistake. He did not make a mistake. He adopted a lifestyle and he lived it for six years. And if you want to make an excuse for him based upon upbringing, based upon what he saw when he was a kid and it was just part of the cultural reality, you know, at some point when you're a kid, you see the things that the grownups are doing and you say, I don't want to do that. For me, it was smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee. I didn't want to do it because the grownups were doing it. At some point, killing dogs and fighting dogs, you think when you're out in the world and you go to college and you go to class, I assume, you deal with people who don't fight and kill dogs at some point. This wasn't supposed to be a whole Mike Vick thing. I just don't know how in the hell he's going to be an assistant coach in any football league, and I don't see it going well for Mike Vick as an offensive coordinator with the... Whatever team. Is it an Atlanta team in the Alliance of American Football? Oh, by the way, I'm I'm thinking of Mike Vick because of that thing from Friday night. For the record, I never lost to Dallas. Yeah, although you did. It's a great burn on Cowboys fans if it's factually correct. And when you say I never lost to Dallas, you can't just be close to being right. You have to have never lost to Dallas. And he did. December 2006, a big high-profile Saturday night game. He lost to Dallas. So anyway, I, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand a lot of things. I'm going to move on. I don't understand why ESPN leaked that Jason Witten may go work for Monday Night Football. And clearly they did. Because if you're a reporter working for ESPN, let, let, me, let me put it this way. Now, I know I have strong opinions about the idea that if you're a reporter working for NFL Network, you're working for the NFL, and you have an inherent conflict of interest when covering the NFL and getting a paycheck from the NFL. I've mentioned that until I'm red, white, and blue in the face, just like the NFL Shield. And nobody seems to care, and I don't care that nobody cares. I care, and I talk about the things I care about. If you're working for a network, and you catch wind of a prominent player retiring to join that network. If you actually reported on that network's air, chances are somebody has given you the nod to do it. Now, I don't know whether Chris Mortensen initially said it on the air. I don't know whether he initially tweeted it. Regardless, it's all you heard Friday. Jason Witten planning to retire and join ESPN. As reported by ESPN, which means as either leaked by ESPN to one of its reporters or allowed to continue to be mentioned on ESPN's air by ESPN. And 
I get the impression, based upon everything else that's been reported over the weekend, that this is far from a done deal. That Jason Witten hasn't decided to retire. That Jason Witten isn't definitely retiring. That Jason Witten may not accept the offer to become the lead analyst or a lead analyst. That's how it was couched. This makes me think maybe there's going to be three people in the booth. I don't know. It's far from a done deal. And if I'm Jason Witten, I'm pissed off at ESPN. Hey, folks, come on, man. Where's the discretion? And look, I know it creates a real dilemma when an ESPN reporter catches wind of someone retiring and joining ESPN, but that's a point where ESPN has to say to its employee, hey, man, look, we're we're in favor of journalistic freedom here, but, I mean, come on, we're talking to this guy, and for all we know, that's how Mortensen found out about it from ESPN sources. There's a point where ESPN has to say, we can't do this. We can't do this. We got to show respect to this guy who's talking to us about employment. It's a basic business reality. So I don't know what Witten's going to do. There may be a hell of a story to tell on the back end. Wouldn't it be funny if Witten says, I don't want it because you guys weren't able to keep your mouth shut about the fact that I was considering it? Now, it's hard to say no to four, four and a half million a year. And I did point out earlier today that that's more than twice what Witten's going to make this year. But that takes into account, or let me be more accurate, fails to take into account the fact that Witten got a chunk of money up front as part of a restructuring, and he'd have to pay that back if he retires. Still, from this point forward, he'd make more than twice from ESPN that he would make from the Cowboys because he makes $1.015 million or something like that, $1.05, some a million plus a little bit more salary, up to $750,000 in per-game roster bonuses, four to $4.5 million to be a lead analyst or the lead analyst or whatever it's going to be for Monday Night Football. So I don't know what he's going to do, but I know if I were him, I'd be pissed based upon the breadcrumbs that I've seen reported. This is all based upon things that have been reported. I don't know anything beyond what's been reported. So we'll see how that one plays out. And I I don't buy the idea that the Cowboys were caught flat-footed. Chris Sims had some strong opinions about Jason Witten's tactics today premised on the reality, the assumption, the presumption, whatever, that the Cowboys didn't know. I've seen reports indicating the Cowboys did know. Regardless, I don't think if I'm Witten, I appreciate the hand being forced during the draft or the information being leaked during the draft, unless this was all part of some convoluted play by the Cowboys to get a team like the Eagles to cut line in front of them, thinking that they were getting a tight end that the Cowboys would have taken when in reality the Cowboys had no interest. Fascinated by what may happen with the Raiders, I saw the report that there are changes coming to the Raiders' front office as John Gruden becomes more entrenched there because this really is the John Gruden show. The question is who's helping him set the table, who's making the, not the grocery list, because that implies the GM has some discretion there. Just basically who's arranging the groceries so John Gruden can pick the groceries. I have yet to become aware of any specific changes happening. Ian Rappaport followed that up by pointing out that there have actually been some contract extensions in Oakland, which would tend to cut against the idea that wholesale changes are coming. 
But this idea that Bruce Allen and John Gruden are going to reunite, that is floating around the NFL grapevine. And look, that doesn't take any high-level sourcing or analysis because they'd been together twice before in Oakland, in Tampa. And I could see Bruce Allen escaping Washington where the acts of accountability is going to fall on him sooner or later. So you leave before you get pushed. You join the Raiders as they're getting ready to move to Las Vegas. And you get involved in the business side of things so you're not accountable when it all blows up. If it all blows up and who knows what's going to happen. It always blows up for anyone, everyone at some point unless you're the Patriots. Speaking of Las Vegas. And I wrote something about this earlier this afternoon. And there was a reason that I wrote it the way I did because I vaguely remembered an example of state-run gambling where the state screwed it up and ended up losing a ton of money because that was the upshot of the idea that the odds makers in Las Vegas had pegged Josh Rosen as being more likely to be taken before Saquon Barkley. And, I mean, if I were a betting man, I'd have been all over that bet with Barkley as the choice, as were plenty of betters, which caused the sports books to lose their shirts. And when the case comes down from the U.S. Supreme Court at some point between now and early June, when the term ends, they go from October to June, and there'll be a flurry of decisions. Like every week, there'll be two or three big decisions that they've been squatting on for months, and they issue the ruling, and there's opinions, and dissenting opinions and concurring opinions and five to four, six to three, whatever the case may be. The thinking is, based upon the way this case made it to the Supreme Court, because the Supreme Court took the case, which had been a loser for New Jersey at every level, as New Jersey tries to invalidate the federal law, preventing New Jersey from adopting sports wagering, that the Supreme Court took up the case in order to finally conclude that the concept of states' rights allows the states to have gambling if they want to have it and invalidates the federal law that prevents them from having state-run gambling. Now, the challenge becomes, let's assume that the ruling is the federal law is invalid that prevents the states from having their own gambling operations. If that happens and the states decide to get into the business, it will be critical for the states to not be the house. Most people think that won't happen. You'll assign that right as a state to a sports book that takes on the risk of losing, and the state gets money based upon how much is handled, and the state has protection against setting a bad betting line. And the reason that that was nagging at me, back when Delaware had gambling in the 70s, and our good friend Mike Wilkening, a previous contributor to PFT, who was always our Canadian football horse racing, and general betting, and also on this day 50 years ago, that happened guy. Filled a very important niche for us. Anyway, when all that happened back in the 70s, 76, Delaware had a betting thing, and they had, they had bad betting lines, and it blew up in their faces. I'm going to write something about it with the details at PFT. So you got to be damn sure you're doing it right which means you got to find somebody else to do it for you. You know, Nevada doesn't have its own house situation. It authorizes others to come in and run casinos and sports books. That's what you do. You make your money that way. 
That's the smart way, and that's what they need to do. But it wasn't very smart to have better odds for Josh Rosen to be the pick before Saquon Barkley because I could have told you a week ago, even if quarterbacks go one, two, three, Rosen wasn't going to be one of them. It just it and 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 isn't it isn't it weird that you can bet on that kind of stuff that has nothing to do with the outcome of a game where there's a certain element of randomness. This is all driven by inside information. Like if you know that that is going down, it's it's almost like some of the Super Bowl prop bets. Like what what Keller hoodie is Bill Belichick going to wear? How many times is Al Michaels going to say whatever the word is? I can't remember what the word was. Was it deflate gate? That was a few years ago. This one was something else. I I can't remember what it was this year, but how many, you know, those are all things that, that aren't the subject of, of the randomness that happens from sport. I, oh man, you can make a lot of money. You can make a lot of money that can easily be abused. So anyway, those are all issues to be determined. And I don't know, you know, some states may just do outcome of games. Other states may do these crazy prop bets that are unrelated to games. And I think that eventually you're going to be able to go to the games and you're going to be able to sit in the ballpark. It's going to be like going to High Lie, where you bet while the action's happening or, or horse racing. High Lie, just, I think a High Lie because that's more human versus human. Although I know the humans have something to do with how fast the horses go. It's, it's the horses and dogs that feels different. This is, you're going to sit there with your phone, you're going to an app, and you're going to be able to bet in real time, baseball game, next pitch, ball or strike, football game, next play, run or pass. And there's going to be an entire laundry list on any given play, and it's all going to be real time, fast. I mean, it's got to be. Because the game is unfolding one pitch, one play at a time. And it's limited only by the creativity of the people involved as to what you can bet on. But as long as you're setting the odds the right way, do it. Because the house always wins. And as long as the state is just getting a piece of the action, who cares if the house screws up? No skin off our nose. Fascinating times coming. And it's coming. And the world is going to change when it does. And I got no complaints about it because you know what? It's going to drive more interest in these sports, which means more interest in football, more interest in XFL, Alliance of American Football. And, uh, hey, we're profootballtalk.com. We're not tied to any one league. And as these other leagues grow because people are interested in those leagues because they're betting on those leagues, then, you know, we, we, uh, we go where the interest is, plain and simple. We don't, we don't write the things that we think you should be interested in. We write the things and talk about the things that you are interested in. And you're going to be interested, I think, in a lot of things, a lot of different football leagues uh, beyond the NFL and a lot of things about the NFL once gambling is legal. Speaking of gambling, the projected win totals for the teams, we wrote something about this last night. I based it on an ESPN dot com item that didn't have the whole list it just had the upper branches of the individual win totals the over-unders that you can now bet on new england 11 down from 12 a year ago eight straight years of 12 or more wins vegas doesn't have faith in the patriots winning 12 again and for good reason there's a sense that the end 
is coming. The question is, does the train pull into the station gracefully, or is it like the Silver Streak? I know that's the second Silver Streak reference I've made in the last two weeks. Then you've got the Eagles at 10.5, Steelers at 10.5, Packers and Vikings at 10. Those are the teams at the top. At the bottom, it's kind of fascinating. The Jets at 6, only 6. Man, the Dolphins at only 6. One of those teams is winning more than 6 games, right? And the Bills at 6.5? Think about that. The Patriots at 11, and the other three teams in the division, 6.5 or lower. How does that happen? And then there's the Browns. How are the Browns at five and a half? They've won one game in two years. That's a lot of faith in the Browns. And then the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals should be, I don't know what's what, what you should be more pissed off about if you're a Cardinals fan, that your number's five and a half or that it matches the Browns. Probably both. I'll post something with the full list. Because, again, we didn't have the whole list as of yesterday. It's the Westgate Superbook wins and losses total. I'm looking at it on usatoday.com. Fascinating. We'll be talking about it probably on PFT Live as well. And look, this is what happens after the draft. You find things to talk about because, uh, you know, the offseason has reached a point where you got you to gotta look a little harder to find interesting things to discuss. Free agency, draft, the interesting things are falling out of the sky. After the draft, the good news is the news flow slows down a little bit. You get a chance to regroup before training camp starts, but... but uh, you know, you got to work a little harder to find things to hold people's interest. And that's fine because I look for things that hold my interest. And I know if it holds my interest, it it's likely to hold your interest. All right. I'm interested now in answering some of your questions. I've been talking long enough, roughly a half hour of me talking. How about uh, roughly a half hour of me answering your questions? I got to find the bat signal tweet. There it is. Oh, 69 questions. Nice. Let's see what we got here. PFTPM Posse. I'll tell you what, the PFTPM Posse squats on that bat signal because I see, like, I, maybe it's because I follow the PFTPM Posse. That's probably why they come in the way they do. I think there's probably something in the algorithm that if it's a response from an account you follow, it's more likely to be at the top. Anyway, PFTPM Posse pointing out Ravens GM Ozzie Newsom earned a bust in the Hall of Fame as a player. He undoubtedly deserves one as a contributor slash GM. Shouldn't people with multiple Hall of Fame careers be in the Hall of Fame for their cumulative accomplishments? And I look, I said that earlier today. Do you put a second bust in for Ozzie Newsom? I don't know. Arguably, yes. So he's already in, so it doesn't matter. But if he wasn't already in, I think he'd get in for what he's done as a contributor. And remember, it's now easier to get in as a contributor because they carved out that separate category that allows owners, general managers, contributors a separate path. That made it so much easier. That never got the play that it should. But it used to be you had the five modern era candidates plus up to two senior committee spots. These were the people where basically say, oh, shit, we screwed up and didn't get these people in during the normal course of eligibility. This is our way to fix it. They changed that a few years ago where it flips every year. It goes from two senior committee and one contributor committee to one senior committee and two contributor committee, but it's three extra spots every year as opposed to what used to be up to two. And the senior committee got screwed here a little bit because now instead of up to two every year, it's just two, then one, then two, then one. The average is down to one and a half. I can do math when it's easy. Was it? Did I do that right? Yes. 
but the contributor committee has one and a half spots per year for GMs. Co- not coaches. Coaches are in. They're still stuck in with the players, which makes it harder to bubble up. But the GMs and the owners, those are the ones that are, that are predominantly going to make up the contributors. Those are the ones who, who get in that way. And uh, it, my, my point is this. It's a hell of a lot easier for general managers to get in now. And uh, it would be even more likely that Ozzie Newsom would get in if he wasn't already in. PFTP and Posse, if it's not too personal, how did you and Mrs. Florio meet? That is too personal. I don't know you all that well yet. I mean, there's really no grand story. You know? I mean, there really isn't. When you put people in the same environment, sometimes they find each other. That's what happened at law school. Law school at West Virginia was kind of like a high school for adults. Because... It was its own self-contained unit up on top of a hill, completely detached from the university experience, unless you wanted to partake in the university experience. But by that point, when you're 24, 25 years old, you start thinking, yeah, you know, the, 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 the stuff that you did when you were 20 and 21, not as interesting when you're 24 and 25. But, uh, you know, you put people in that same, that same place. They run into each other all the time and, you know, people gravitate toward each other or not. Now, the one thing I will say is this. We were in different law school classes. If we'd have been in the same law school class, there would not have been a love connection because we're both very driven, very competitive, very type A. And uh, if we had just happened to be in the same class, the same year, it would not have gone well. It would not have been good. The fact that we were in different classes, I think, laid the foundation for, you know, a meeting of the minds, so to speak. That's all I'm going to say about it for now. Maybe one of these days I'll tell the more elaborate story. There's plenty, you know, I, there's plenty of stories to tell about how people find each other, stay together, and hold it together over the years, but that's not appropriate for this setting, especially because she'd probably be pissed off if I'm telling a bunch of personal stories on this podcast to a bunch of people that I don't know. I know some of you, though. I feel like I do. And I still feel like I'm talking to maybe three or four people, even though I know that maybe it's, you know, 30 or 40 now. Maybe a little bit more than that. PFTPM Posse is Mike Mayock, the best draft expert due to his position with NFL Network, giving him better access to coaches, GMs. Plus, he seems to be a no-nonsense media guy who at least pretends to hate anything non-football like most coaches, GMs. I think that's one of the reasons he's good. He's adopted the demeanor of a crusty coach. Now, look, he played. His dad was his high school coach. Picked up credibility that way. And he's got a great story how he ended up in the business. I'm keeping it very simple, and I don't want to get any of the facts incorrect, but I think Steve Sable was instrumental in convincing Mike Mayock to change careers and go all in with a career in football, with a career in evaluating from a media perspective and this whole draft guru thing. He and Mel Kuyper both became kind of unconventional arrivals in different ways as who they are and what they do. But, you know, he didn't have a whole lot of patience for nonsense, for frivolity, for crusades. He's a nuts and bolts football guy. And that's why by day three of the draft, when they're pulling all these stupid-ass gimmicks, you just wait for Mayock's head to explode. And and Mayock has a, has a short fuse for anything unrelated to football. 
I mean, Rich Eisen asks the fairly innocuous question, what week does Baker Mayfield start in 2018? And Mayock doesn't even want to go down that path. Well, that's not a hot take path. You either put him on the bench for the whole year because last year Deshaun Kaiser started 15 games and lost all of them, right? Or you get him into the mix by the middle of the season because you don't want to have a repeat of 2007 when Derek Anderson started every game. Brady Quinn never played. Anderson ends up being the starter going into 2008, and the whole thing falls apart. It sets the team back again. You have to be careful, but you also have to be decisive, and you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan. And the plan should be whoever the best player is plays with no tipping of the scales one way or the other because of where a guy was drafted. Point we made earlier today on PFT Live. Back in 2012 when Pete Carroll was praised for having the guts to go with Russell Wilson even though they had spent the money on Matt Flynn in free agency. It wasn't all that gutsy because everybody knew Russell Wilson was the better guy. Everybody knew that Wilson was the guy they needed to play. So that's the guy they played. It was that simple. If Baker Mayfield is head and shoulders better than Tyrod Taylor, that's the guy you play. Chris Sims makes the point, wait a minute, Tyrod Taylor's faster? Tyrod Taylor's more athletic? Tyrod Taylor's got a stronger arm? How is Baker Mayfield going to all of a sudden be the better option to Tyrod Taylor? Well, it may, it may be leadership and intangibles, I don't know. But that's why in Buffalo... Brandon Bean, the GM of the team, in not ruling out Josh Allen being the starter, he made the point. Those 52 guys, other guys, they're going to know. It's actually 51. Those 51 other guys are going to know who the best option is. And that drives the decision. PFTPM Posse has a question that I did not know about this. If the latest report that Shaquem Griffin's 40 time was inaccurate, how wide did he just barely beat his brother when they played the two side by side? I I don't know anything about the 40 time being inaccurate. Man, I'll tell you what. The alarm bells go off with the whole hype machine of Shaquem Griffin. Because the NFL understands the value of a good storyline that crosses over. The media requests that already have been made for Shaquem Griffin. The endorsement deals he already has. This is the flip side of Michael Sam. right? Michael Sam was a mainstream story that the NFL viewed as a distraction. Shaquem Griffin is a mainstream story that the NFL views as a selling point, as an inspiration. Now... You could argue that Michael Sam should have been the story that is the inspiration. Shaquem Griffin is the story that you could call the distraction. You could call either one either thing. And four years after Michael Sam, a lot of the things that people said about Michael Sam could be said about Shaquem Griffin as it relates to teammates being asked questions all the time. The issue constantly coming up. But see, the NFL understands that this is one that they can wrap the shield around. This is one that the fan base... Where where is the portion of the fan base that will not tolerate a player who is missing a hand? There are a lot of assholes out there. 
But there's no one who's big enough of an asshole to say, I don't want to see a player on the field who doesn't have two hands. How dare he choose to not have two hands? Get that guy off of here who only has one hand. I like people who have two hands. I like people who can eat corn on the cob the way it should be eaten. There's nobody like that. Well, I don't. Not, well, you know, let's not let's not overestimate humanity. There aren't enough people like that that it makes a difference for the NFL. Isn't that a sad commentary on where we are as a people? Oh God, shut up, Florio. Stick to sports. Stick to football. Somebody gave me the stick to football thing yesterday when I was complaining about the ruling in the Penguins-Capitals game that an obvious goal wasn't a goal. Somebody gave me stick to football, and I couldn't resist. I responded by saying, stick it up your ass. I'm not going to do that very often. I gave in to a moment of weakness. All right, what else do we have here? What do you miss most about practicing law? Nothing. Not a thing. I don't miss it at all. I've told my wife, who previously practiced law, she took a three-month leave of absence six years ago. Maybe it's seven now. I don't miss it. I don't miss it. It was shortening my life. It was too much stress. It was too much worry. It was too much work. It was too many sleepless nights. Because during trial, when you have a trial, that let's say the trial takes a whole week, and it's not like TV where you do the opening statements you know, 10 minutes into the episode and you have a jury verdict by the time it's over. Let's say, uh, you know, most, uh, most, this is in California. I don't know why these damn trials go on forever. I would try to get a trial to fit within a week. The shorter, the better. People have short attention spans. And I think nowadays, nine years after I got out of it, I'd be fighting to make it even more compacted. How short can you make it? But let's say one week for the trial. The week to two ahead of that intense preparation. Five hours of sleep a night if you're lucky. If you're lucky, the week of trial, four hours. If you're lucky, if you're lucky, four hours. Then the week after, if you practice alone, you got to deal with all the shit that piled up while you were focused exclusively on one case. And then you're working up this case, working up that case, deposition in this case, deposition in that case. Something can come up in another case that you didn't expect. You got this thing, but I still have stress dreams about a case that is in my filing cabinet that I've forgotten about that has dates and deadlines. I kept a paper calendar. I didn't, and and look, that was nine years ago. I didn't have any of this stuff digitally that I relied on primarily. I think my assistant may have kept it on a computer somewhere. I think she did. I didn't trust any of that. I had a paper calendar that I kept in my own hand. And anytime an order came in, because what happens is there'll be a, a scheduling order in a case that sets all the key deadlines. And I would set the, and I would write, I would meticulously write those down in my, in my paper calendar. And I still have the paper calendars, I think somewhere. I think I still have them somewhere. Cause that's like your, you take that thing everywhere, your paper calendar. And I would review it every weekend. What do I have coming up this week? What are all the deadlines? And I'm still, still afraid, nine years after I got out of it, that there's something that I'm missing. That there's, I st- it's so much that I dream about it. What am I missing? What's the trial that starts next week that I'd forgotten about? What's the date for disclosing your exhibits in this other case that I'd forgotten about? What's the deadline for filing dispositive motions in the other case that I've forgotten about? And you're constantly carrying that around. And look, I, feel, I, I don't regret that I did it. I just don't miss it. Is that possible? Is it possible to have no regrets for what you did and I wouldn't have done anything any differently 
but I'd never do it again. That's it. That doesn't mean I never would have done it in the first place. Because back in 1987, when I didn't know what the hell I was going to do, and I didn't intend to get down this rabbit hole, you people have real questions that you want me to answer today. But I remember heading into 1987, as I was getting closer and closer to getting my undergraduate degree, and I had no desire to go to work as a materials engineer, metallurgical engineer, whatever the hell it was going to be. I didn't want to do it. I knew in my heart, I don't want to do this. When my advisor at Carnegie Mellon suggested the possibility of law school, and I was like, yeah, but, you know, I want to get out of school. I don't want to have to get the, 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 the pre-law requisites. I thought it was like medical school. I didn't know. It was dumb. 20 years old. 21. Was I 21? 1986 going in 87. I was 21 going on 22. I didn't know. And the moment that she said to me, and I remember where I was, you know, it's one of those moments that's burned into your soul and it never goes away. When she said to me, you don't need to have anything other than a four-year degree in any field. And I knew, you know, you feel that thing in your, in your, in your insides. You can call it a lot of different things. I call it, you know, it's the hand of God directing you down your life's path. And I firmly believe that because let me tell you, we're all freaking mixed up. We don't know what we want. I didn't know what the hell I wanted. I didn't know what I wanted when I was 21 or 22. When she said that, and I felt that lightning bolt inside of me, you know that feeling when you know that this is the right thing for you? And for me, man, it was three years of dreading what was to come because I had no damn idea what I wanted to do, and I hated that feeling. And I did everything I could to not deal with that feeling. Hey, you're 20, 21, 22, you're young, you're living life. Back in those days, I worked out a lot, ran a lot, ran around a lot, a lot of alcoholic beverages consumed. It's one of the benefits of being in West Virginia when they changed the drinking age to 21 and they grandfathered in all the people who were 18 before they changed it. Oh, yes. Th those were some fond memories and some fond, I can't remember anything that happened. And a, a lot of it was just an escape, right? from that constant nagging, what in the, am I going to do with my life? I have no idea, but I know I don't want it to be this thing that I've studied to do. And I got nothing else. And I got no choice because it's not like I got a trust fund waiting for me that I can take three or four years to travel Europe and figure out my own time, what my purpose is. I got to make a decision now. And there, and the clock is ticking. And when it happened that day, I knew I was doing the right thing. And again, so I have no regrets. That's enough of that. I had no regrets, have no regrets, but I would never do it again. If all this stuff went away today, I don't know. I'd find something else to do. I don't know what, but I'd find something else to do. And maybe I could leverage my legal experience from a strategic standpoint and work for some business and be involved in that capacity. But practicing law, that day in and day out grind, that week in and week out, Oh my God, what have I forgotten? That panic, constant fear. You got other people's interests riding on you. Like if I forget to post a certain story at PFT, like in advance of the draft, if I had forgotten to do a mock draft, who cares? It doesn't affect anybody other than me. 
If I have a typo, if I make a mistake, if I do something wrong, if I get a bad story, if I have hashtag fake news, it doesn't affect anybody other than me. I'm a big boy. I can deal with that. But when I'm screwing something up for somebody else, that carries a little bit more of a burden. It's a little more grave. It's a little more significant. Apart from the fact that you could get sued for it. I didn't even think about it that way. You, you have a solemn obligation to your clients to not screw up their shit. So I don't miss that. I carried that around for 18 years, mainly for the last nine years when I was representing individuals. When you're representing a corporation, I mean, what are you really screwing up? I, although I didn't want to screw up somebody else's interests. But when you're representing an individual and they got one shot at this thing, you screw that up, man, it's a lot to carry around and I don't miss it. All right, let me move on. What do we got here? PFTP. I, I got to get to questions other than the PFTP on policy. Do you think Sam Darnold visiting the pediatric hospital is more about the kids or Sam beginning his public PR campaign? Do they really care who he is or have even heard of him? Apologize in advance if I sound insensitive here. I think it's both. I, look, it's both. It's, it's okay to do things to make yourself look like a nice guy because if you're a nice guy, you're going to do things to make you look like a nice guy. You're gonna to wanna, to, hey, hey, I now have this platform, how can I use it for good? I can go to the pediatric hospital, even if the kids don't know who I am yet. You start that process. There's nothing wrong with it, right? There's plenty of assholes who aren't gonna do the thing that makes them look like a nice guy. I remember my wife and I debating whether or not Tim Tebow was a big phony. And she eventually had the hammer, as she often does when we argue, debate. She said, I don't care if it's real or not. It's a good example for our son. What do I do then? What do you say to that? Okay. All right, what else is here? At the real Forno, finally a non-PFTPM posse question. Do you think Witten will be a good analyst out of the gate? I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, apparently ESPN saw something in his audition that puts him ahead of Kurt Warner. And the others. But Kurt Warner, I think, the best of the other options. Like Rex Ryan, God, no. God, no. 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 Rex Ryan, nice guy. Funny guy. Great subject of hard knocks. Awful on TV. Awful on TV. I said it before he became a TV analyst. He's going to be like Woody from Toy Story. You pull a string, he's got five different phrases. The colloquialisms, too much. He doesn't do aw shucks. It doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem authentic. I feel like he's holding back. He is, because he'd be saying the F word every other word if he was being authentic. He would be, he would be a nightmare in the booth. Hasselbeck, sorry, but the voice doesn't cut it. And I know that we're all born with the voice that we're given, but there are ways that you can work with your voice to make it better. But Matt Hasselbeck's voice is almost as bad as David Akers. Did people actually think that David Akers moment was a good thing? He was squealing in a high-pitched voice. Yeah, that'll show him. I didn't know who he was until they said it was David Akers. I thought, oh, the Eagles brought their accountant. What, 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 what are they going to do? They're going to count their win totals over the last few years versus the Cowboys? What's going on here? Has he got an envelope there he's going to read off of from the accounting firm? Anyway, that's. I mean, I think it's fair game because you can make I I, I think that some voices... I guess some voices like Gilbert Gottfried, like that's never getting any better. But if you're going to be broadcasting a game on TV and you're going to be heard the entire game, at some point it has to be pleasing to the widespread audience. And 
I'm sorry, but Hasselbeck's voice isn't. I don't. I haven't heard enough Booger McFarland to know if he would be good. I know that Lewis Riddick aspires to have the gig almost as badly as Mike Mayock does, and that can be counterproductive to want it that badly. Because behind the scenes, you know, sometimes people are too ambitious, too aggressive. There's an art to it. Don't we all know people like that who just lead with their chin and everything? I want this. I want this. I want this. Give me this. Give me this. Give me this. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? There's a point where you just have to, you have to act like you're above it all just a little bit. You're interested, right? You make sure they know you're interested, but you're not so interested that you're wearing people out. There's a fine line to it. So I don't know what Witten's going to do. I don't know how good he's going to be if he does it. I don't know what he's going to do. At the real Forno, would ESPN and NFL Network ever work together on the coverage of the draft? I Look, I, I don't know. They're working with Fox now. Who knows what's going to happen down the road? I, I think that this talk of having every network broadcast it to make it like the presidential election, I could see them doing that for a few years and then doing like what they did with the Madden game and offering it to one network exclusively. Like they build this giant mass audience that gets exposed to the draft and then they make a huge pile of money by narrowing it down to one network, thinking that they're going to bring a lot of people to that network for the, you know, look, it's a for-profit enterprise and they're always looking for ways to make more money. And I got no problem with that. It's the American way. What's wrong with trying to make more money? What's wrong with trying to, and the balance is exposure versus money. There's a, there's a, there's a sweet spot there, but if the dominoes fall in a way that ESPN, you know, ESPN says, you know what, we're done with it. We're done with sharing the platform with Fox. Let's just do a joint NFL Network ESPN draft. And it's going to be broadcast on NFL Network, ESPN, and ABC, the whole thing. And it's going to be Mel Kuyper and Mike Mayock. Wouldn't that be fascinating? Those guys going at it, the entire draft? It's like uh, some of those uh, superhero movies, right? When you take, and isn't that all they did, like Superman and Batman? Like, I can't keep up with these. I remember how happy I was when they made the Batman movie in 1989, because other than a couple of Superman movies, they never really embraced the idea that you can take these superheroes and turn them into viable movies. And now, like, everywhere you turn, it's like this mishmash of this one and that one. Wouldn't that be something, though, to have Mayock and Kuiper on the same broadcast? What else do we have here? At Recliner QB, have you heard anything about how Baker Mayfield practices? Is he a player that is only good when the lights are on and bright like Tim Tebow and others? I, I don't know. I haven't I haven't heard that he struggles in practice. And if there were concerns about him struggling in practice, I think we would have heard about it at some point in the run-up to the draft because we hear every negative thing. So I'm going to apply a little... Is it deductive logic or inductive logic? I'm going to assume, I think we're deducing here, that because we haven't heard that Baker Mayfield struggled in practice at Oklahoma, he must not have struggled in practice at Oklahoma, or we would have heard about that because we heard about every little picky little piece of shit negative on every guy out there at some point over the last three months. Oh, J. Randall 15. Lego recently announced a 4,000-piece roller coaster. Are you going to get it? I'm going to have to explore it. I'll admit, you know, my son and I need to get back to work on the Ghostbusters firehouse. I think that's 5,000 pieces. It's sitting over there calling my name, but he and I have a pact that neither of us will work on it without the other. I do have another, I I have a collection of skylines that I'm putting in the library because there's that space between the book and the end of the shelf where you can put things. I got the Sydney 
skyline that's going to be my – that's my post-draft. That was my, hey, the draft is over. Go buy yourself something with uh, $25. I got the uh, the Sydney skyline. So that's the next project pending the completion of the Ghostbusters firehouse. I'm going to have to look into the roller coaster because the problem is you build these damn things. Then where do you put them? Where do you put them? You build it and you got to put them somewhere. At On Tour Forever, what do you think the Raiders were doing? They needed linebacker help, and they drafted two offensive linemen in their first three picks. Hashtag Peter Brady Volcano. Well done. Yeah, this experiment is either going to go incredibly well for John Gruden, or it is going to be Peter Brady's Volcano. It took a lot of... This Martavis Bryant giving up a third-round pick, and I think they justified it by like, well, you know, we traded down with the Cardinals in round one, and we picked up this extra third-round pick. So, you know, let it burn a hole in our pockets. Let's give it up for Martavis Bryant, a guy who missed more than a year to a drug suspension. That's a hell of a risk. You're bringing him to California where weed is legal, and then you're going to take him to Las Vegas if, if it lasts that long? Hey, let's get a guy who has had established, documented, repeated problems with marijuana and bring him to a state where you can't walk down the street for a block without smelling weed three times. When we were out there in San Francisco for the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50, my, my walk from the hotel to where we did our show was half a block. And I was doing the count every time I smelled that that burning, B.O., skunky weed smell. I'm just, hey, Dad, how do you know what marijuana smells like? Oh, Dad, how do you know? You know, man. All it takes is once. It's like, oh, that's marijuana. Holy shit, I'm never going to forget that smell. 18, 20 times I smelled it in a four-day stretch of going back and forth from the hotel to Radio Row. 18 times. So, look, John Gruden's back, and John Gruden wants football players, and John Gruden's making some decisions here, and and he's got the benefit of having been in the catbird seat for the last nine years doing Monday Night Football, but we're going to find out what kind of football players John Gruden's able to put together and how he can hold these guys in line because I feel like they took some risks. We'll see what the Raiders can do. At Black 88 Elite, the reason why Jason Witten retirement possibilities were not announced until after round one is because I believe they didn't want the Roger Goodell boos to be louder due to Cowboys fans all of a sudden losing Jason Witten. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think that had anything to do with it. I, I don't think that that was it. And then the whole... Human shields against booing, that didn't work. Although, I will say this, Roger Goodell did not get booed every time he walked out onto the stage the way he's been booed in the past. It was a bad early initial welcome to Dallas, boo! But then as the night went on, it wasn't nearly as bad. In part because there were only 20,000 people in there. I still don't understand why you're going to have it at AT AT&T Stadium, you're only going to have 20,000 people. Why not just do it at the Star in Frisco then? It is such a weird shot to see all those empty seats they took a 100,000-seat tw- stadium and they turned it into a 20,000-seat venue. They could have filled... I, and they never were very clear about it. I think th- I, they knew what they were doing. Because on Friday of the draft, Roger Goodell said, we had 100,000 fans at AT&T Stadium last night. No, you didn't. You had 20 in and 80 out. And how do we even know it was 80 out? Have we seen anything to suggest? I mean, at least with the inauguration, we had photos. Have we seen anything that would allow us to come to any conclusions as to how many people were actually outside? Or is it just the NFL picking a number out of the air and saying, this sounds good? They couldn't they have filled that stadium up for Thursday night? They told me that the, the uh, visibility issues would have been a problem. They got the giant mothership hanging over the field. How many people go there and watch the screen anyway? 
for a football game. It's just weird. something weird about all of this. But, you know, it's frivolous. It's superficial. It has nothing to do with the draft itself. But to the extent the draft is growing and growing and growing and growing, I'm always on the lookout for that little that little dab of bullshit that gets thrown in there to make something look bigger than it is. I mean, you know, because that's kind of a thing now in our society, exaggerating, embellishing, and flat-out lying to make yourself look better than you really are. When in Rome, right? When in the United States. At Sean Alvashar, doesn't John Elway have to hit on some of these 2018 offensive draft picks? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And kudos to him for resisting the temptation to take Josh Allen at five and understanding the guy to take was Bradley Chubb. And they picked up some skill position players and they need Royce Freeman to develop into. I, I look at it this way. If Royce Freeman can push the pile first down, second down, Case Keenum can make some magic on third down. You can sustain some drives, score some points, and rely on your defense to put the clamps. Build a lead and rely on Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb, Chris Harris Jr., Brandon Marshall, the linebacker, Bradley Roby, etc., to put the clamps on the, uh, the opposing offense. Brady otherwise known as at B flow foe show. We all know him as Brady. I'm just going to call him Brady from now on. When are we getting Sims on PFT PM to discuss life outside the PFT live set? He said he'll do it this week. I'll, I'll have to see what day he'll do it. Also, Ian Rappaport said he would do it. So later in the week, we have some, what do we have set up? I think we're gonna have AJ green tomorrow. I think I'm taping an interview with him mid-afternoon tomorrow, so that'll be part of the PFTPM podcast. But I'll work on Rappaport and Sims for later this week. Steph Boyardee, I hope you haven't wasted your time and watched the Avengers movie. I don't watch the superhero movies. I, I don't like them. I can't follow them. I'm old. And they all seem disjointed. And it's all more about, I like a good story. I like a story. Boy, I really do sound like an old cranky shit. I like a story that that catches me off guard. That, you know, a plot that is very creative and and also something not not just I don't need to have twists and turns the whole movie, but I need something at the end that makes me think, wow, I didn't see that coming. That was perfectly constructed. And I'm thinking about it the next day. If I'm thinking about it the next day, it was a good movie. That's what I want. I don't want a bubblegum movie where it's just like you're you're just you're like at a, an attraction at Disney and you just sit there and you go, wow, pretty colors. I want something that's going to make my brain work. Sergio D, now that Joe Houlihan has been released by the Packers, are you fearful that he will come to West Virginia and hunt you down? No, I have a feeling that Joe Houlihan is a nice guy. I do uh, I do approve, Sergio, of the photo of Crazy Joe Davola, not to be confused with Crazy Joe Houlihan. Um, but, uh, yeah, Joe Callahan, not Joe Houlihan. And that was more of a shot. I know it sounds like it was a shot at him, that was really a shot at the Packers for not having a backup plan behind um, behind Aaron Rodgers last year. I mean, it was down to Brett Hundley and Joe Houlihan. I, I, I had to refresh my page here because it was jammed up. So now I'm just scrolling through here looking for some other ones to answer. We've been going for an hour, already an hour. That hour flies by. I got other things to do, people. I, it's like I'm hanging out on the phone with a one, in a one-way conversation for an hour every day, although it is therapeutic. At Matt Yvonne, do you think that Brett Favre's late career actions 
Mm-hmm. Hashtag Crocs kept him from getting the Monday Night Football job, yet ESPN leaks it was because of a bad interview. I, why would you interview him if you have concerns about his... That, that's the thing. You don't even do business with the guy at all. You know going in that you're going to have the Jen Sturger ugliness to deal with. So you just don't give him an audition. And he did one other game back in 2011, a Southern Miss game, and it was not good. So, you know, Brett Favre isn't some alternative to Peyton Manning or Don Meredith. He's got that, aw shucks. But he's another guy that doesn't study. Is he really going to put in the work? He was Johnny Manziel and Mike Vick before Johnny Manziel and Mike Vick. He was just show up and play. He didn't have time for any of that shit. Remember the story where he he asked Ty Detmer what a nickel defense is? They keep using this word, nickel defense. What is that? I mean, that's that's not all that far from the Shaquille O'Neal argument about filling up your gas when it's half full instead of waiting until it's empty and you save money that way. I really feel like I lost IQ points by listening to that. It was almost like, what was that movie, The Ring? Like, if you watch the video, you die in seven days. I feel like if you watch that Shaquille O'Neal bit where he's talking about saving money on gas, you end up being dumber a week later. Like, it gradually erodes your brain if you subjected yourself to that. I mean, and I don't think that was deliberate like I I think guys like Terry Bradshaw and to go way back Sonny Bono I think there's a certain niche to be filled by acting like a stupid idiot even if you're not really a stupid idiot I don't know with Shaq I don't know if he's just acting like a stupid idiot he's doing it pretty well he's got me convinced all right let's see what else we have here some of these others have uh, popped up that we've already answered. Scrolling, scrolling, walking the mile, walking the mile. At uh, just Brady again, better brother tag team going into 2018, the McCourty brothers or the Griffin brothers. I'd say the Griffin brothers. They, they got more tread on the tire. They're younger. They're spry. Faisal Morali, did Darius Geis really lie about what teams asked him? And is that why he was reluctant to answer your questions about them? I don't know what happened with Darius Geis and the do you like men thing. I've heard a variety of explanations from he was just messing around and he made it all up to he confused the combine interviews with preparation sessions to he really was asked the questions. I I, I don't know. But he was interviewed three different times. Why do you need to be interviewed three different times by NFL security if you have one story to tell? Here's my story. And, and I know people who have spoken to him who said that this, he's just, kid's just immature. He doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He's all over the place. And I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. If he matures, if he gets his act together, if he communicates more efficiently and effectively. I mean, I thought he was fine during the interview. He was evasive when the issue came up about the, the do you like men thing. But, I mean, what do you expect? It's a sensitive subject. And some people think he kind of got a mini blackball, a mini shunning because he created that mess. But... Washington was happy to get him at 59, and we'll see what he does there. That's all that matters at this point. What kind of a player is he? Recliner QB, while I agree 100% that the day three gimmicks are BS and stupid and annoying, the only time my wife looked up or listened on day three was when something stupid like that went on, so it's probably working. But she wouldn't have been watching it, Recliner QB, 
if you didn't have it on. She wouldn't have chosen to watch the draft, but it did catch her attention just because it was different than the same old, same old, this guy's that and that guy's this and this guy runs fast and that guy has loose hips and all the other jargon that you hear. So it was a reflex because it's different than what she expected. It's not going to make her watch it. Recliner QB, do you really believe the Cowboys' vanilla offensive staff can and or will actually be able to utilize Tavon Austin in an impactful way? Their offense is so predictable that the orangutan or the parrot from the draft could predict their plays. And you're right. You're right. That's a good point. What do they do with Tavon Austin? Now, here's the thing. He had his biggest impact with the Rams when their offense was predictable because he had the superior physical skills that it didn't matter. Bubble screen, handoff. That's what it was in Morgantown with Tavon Austin. It was predictable. Jet sweep, bubble screen, very simple route tree. But you get him the ball in his hands and you get him in a position where he can make guys miss and off you go. I just don't, I mean, the guy is so little. I remember when he came to be interviewed by me five years ago outside Radio City Music Hall on the first day of the draft. I I love it when NFL players are my height. I really love it when they're smaller than me. Although, you know, he could run circles around me in his sleep. So the, the Cowboys see something. And I wouldn't have expected them to trade for Tavon Austin. You know, anytime something like that happens, I think, oh, man, I should have seen that coming. How do you see that coming? Tavon Austin and Des Bryant are not the same guy. They ended up replacing Ryan Switzer before they dumped Ryan Switzer. I mean, that was really the, the buried lead there. They decided after one year that Ryan Switzer was a mistake. So you get Tavon Austin, you get rid of Ryan Switzer. So I don't know what they're going to do with Tavon Austin. They said the Lance Dunbar role, he's going to be used as a running back. He was used a lot as a running back with the Rams. Plenty of rushing yards for Tavon Austin. Primary kick returner for the Cowboys. It'll be interesting to see what Tavon Austin does. And he hasn't really stayed healthy a lot because he's so small. You get hit by an NFL-sized human and you're Tavon Austin-sized, you're going to get injured. Recliner QB, will the NFL ever randomly and arbitrarily punish a team for contacting undrafted free agent early during the draft? No. There was a guy who was, I don't know if he was Mr. Irrelevant. He was a quarterback taken by the Colts late in the draft one year. And he said that he had heard from a team and was negotiating with a team until he got drafted. And, And that was a blatant, blatant, blatant violation. But everybody does it. Everybody does it. And actually this year, because... It was all done before the draft ended. It avoided that land rush for undrafted free agents. It drives agents crazy. So actually, the, the agents were happy about the way that it went, and everybody violates that rule. At Steph Boyardee, are the Washington franchise players going to be sneaky good this year? And I try not to say that word out of respect to the Native Americans who are actually offended by that word. There are, actually, there are Native Americans who are actually offended. And there are people who get offended that I won't use that word. Well, I, I, I choose not to offend the Native Americans who are actually and genuinely offended by that word. And there are plenty out there, and I've had them come up to me and and thank me for not using a word that they subjectively find offensive and they're Native Americans. And if they find it offensive, I'm going to avoid using it. And if people don't like it, sorry, that's your problem, not mine. Anyway, are they going to be sneaky good next year? Probably not. But who knows? Steph Boyardee, fishing or hunting? Pick one, fishing. Just because I, you know, when you catch a fish, you throw it back. You don't get a bloody nasty mess. Although sometimes with a trout you do, if it swallows the hook, it can get a little bit ugly. 
But, uh, you know, you catch a bass, it's car, it's all cartilage. You take out the hook, you throw it back in. Hunting, I don't, I don't like killing things. I, I don't like catching fish and taking them home. I catch and release, catch and release. So I, I there's just, oh, man. Field dressing a deer, no thanks. Not for me. I know that plenty of people love it, and that's fine. It's just not for me. Just like I would have gone to medical school if I could have, you know, like dissected a corpse, which is what you did. You know, the first year of medical school, my, my, my good friend, we were roommates uh, when he was in dental school and I was in law school. And uh, first year of dental school, you got to cut up that corpse. And I heard the stories and it was disgusting. I just, it's just not for me. And hunting, same thing, not for me. Steph Boyardee, have you ever smoked the devil's lettuce before? And if you had, what was your experience? Like, let me just say this. Because we've all experienced it at some time during our college days, right? It never did anything for me. And I didn't smoke it that many times. And look, I, I mean, I, I remember there was a time where, boy, if you admit to smoking marijuana, you'll never have a future in politics. Well, screw that. I don't want one. I don't want a future in politics. Everyone has tried it at some point in their lives. Not everyone, but enough have. And when I was in college, yes, yeah, somebody had it. I tried it and it, it made me go to sleep. Like, okay. I didn't like it. So... Didn't do anything for me. Now, if it becomes legalized, would I try it again? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Are there medicinal purposes to it that can help me? I have Crohn's disease. Apparently, it's it's uh, useful for Crohn's, although I'm largely asymptomatic and my Crohn's is in remission. You know, I have a relapse at some point. Maybe, I'm, maybe I will. But it didn't do anything for me. As Jeff Boyardee, as NFL fans, what do we do now? You keep coming to ProFootballTalk.com, paying attention to all the things that are going to happen. Right? There could be, at any given moment, somebody could get injured in an off-season workout. If you're not refreshing PFT, you're going to be behind the curve if it happens. There could still be trades. There will be more free agency signings. Des Bryant, what's going to happen with him? So keep following PFT. But but one thing that I will recommend, do not... I've been going for an hour and 15 minutes. I'm going to wrap this up. Do not... Wish your life away until football season starts. That's one of the things that drives me crazy. And I see these tweets from the only, only 10 more weeks until the football. Only, only X. Don't wish your life away. Be with your families. Enjoy summertime. It's summertime. It's the best time of year. It's going to be warm. It's going to be nice. If you have access to a swimming pool, go swimming. Be with your family. Enjoy the outdoors. Take a vacation. Don't wish the summer away. I w- the thing I always loved about football season is that football started when I otherwise would have been depressed that the best time of year is over. I love the summer. I love going. I got a new grill coming. I can't wait to get that grill hooked up. I got a new setup outside where our patio area is. We had a pergola that had rotted. The pergola's gone. There's a nice roof over there. I can go cook in the elements. New grill coming. I'm going to enjoy the shit out of that. I'm going to enjoy every day of summertime. I like, I like, as much as summer, I like the anticipation of summer. I love May because May leads to June. May is, a, May is arguably the happiest month of the year for me because I know that summer's coming. And also, my life slows down a little bit. It's the lull months, May, June, and into the middle to end of July. Enjoy this time. Football's going to be there, and football will be enjoyable. But enjoy, don't, don't wish away. God, I'm lecturing you. Do whatever you want. How about that? Live your life however you want, and don't let people like me tell you what to do. On that note, we'll do this again tomorrow, tentatively 
to be joined by A.J. Green. We'll try to get Chris Sims and or Ian Rappaport lined up later this week. Anyone else you want to suggest, um, do it when we put the bat signal out. If you ever have guest suggestions, just, uh, um, you know, or raise it with at PFTPM Posse, and uh, they'll pass along the best ones to me. Have a great day. Talk to you Tuesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.